Hello, everybody. Welcome back to The Lily Kate Show. I have such an exciting episode for you today, but I've been thinking about philosophy. And it's a very unuseful topic to think about, but it's a fun topic to think about. And I've been thinking about how Americans are philosophically void. And this is happening all over the West with the destruction of something like Notre Dame. They're rebuilding it to be a woke heaven, a woke Disneyland instead of the beautiful reverend cathedral that it is. You see this with the tearing down of statues. You see this with the birth of this gross kind of modern art and this social justice and all these weird degrees that you can get like lesbian dance theory. I don't know how you're going to use that, and I hope your $35,000 a year is worth it. In what ways have Americans gone philosophically void? And I want to start with this, because we used to have so much more purpose in life. And our purpose in life was to get married, to have children, to make something that mattered, to build something that mattered. But unfortunately now, with our generation, the highest, utmost calling that you can achieve is the calling to find yourself. The goal of people's lives are now to define themselves, to find myself, to travel the world and be by myself and figure out who I really am. And I hate to break it to you, but you're not all that interesting. I'm not all that interesting. That's why I want to build something that lasts. I want to get married. I want to have a family and I want to do something that is actually important in this world. But when you diminish a person to just finding out who they are on the inside, what their preferences are, what you like to do, what you like to identify as, life becomes so much more meaningless, purposeless, and just this horrible cage that you lock yourself in. I was actually recently watching one of my favorite movies, Breakfast at Tiffany's, and I realized toward the end, the character Holly Golightly, she is this girl who has lots of different past lives, and she finds herself, and the story is from the point of view of her, you know, love interest, of course, not really love interest. She didn't really fall in love with him in New York, right? She has lots of past lives. She lived in Texas. She lived in Los Angeles. And at the very end of the movie, he says this. You know what's wrong with you, miss, whoever you are? You're chicken. You've got no guts. You're afraid to stick out your chin and say, okay, life's a fact. People do fall in love. People do belong to each other because that's the only chance anybody's got for real happiness. You call yourself a free spirit, a wild thing, and you're terrified somebody's going to stick you in a cage. Well, baby, you're already in that cage. You built it yourself. And it's not bounded in the west by Tulip, Texas, or in the east by Somaliland. It's wherever you go. Because no matter where you run, you just end up running into yourself. And I feel that that is very opposite of what Gen Z specifically is feeling today. We have no purpose, but all we do is claim that we want to be free, that we, we want to mean something, we want to matter, but we don't know how to go about doing it. And so I really want to push on this idea today and fight back against this American philosophical Western void that we've created for ourselves, because I just want to say the highest calling of your life is not to find your self-expression. It's not to express yourself in whatever gender you decide to wake up and make up that day. It's not in your makeup. It's not in your fashion. It's not even in the way that you half-heartedly worship in church, right? That is not who God says you are. And unfortunately, there's this Christian song called, I am who you say I am. And right, it's I am as a believer who God you say I am in the image of you, loved, cherished, fearfully, wonderfully made. But we've distorted that so much and we've made ourselves gods in our own images. And so the song in our modern Christian church would no longer go like, I am who you say I am, 
but it would go, I am who I say I am. And Christians are just as guilty as this as everybody else. So let's make a point to stop acting like Holly Golightly from Breakfast at Tiffany's. Let's make a point to stop living in these cages that we create for ourselves, these cages that are called self-expression. Start having a conversation and realizing how how beautiful the world is when we're not thinking about ourselves, when we're striving to have a family, when you're striving to love people, to be selfless, to act sacrificially, to build our communities into something that will last when we're gone. I want to then further go into the point of identifying where Western Americans are completely philosophically void. And of course, spoiler alert, it's going to take us all the way back to Jesus. But I want to discuss this topic with one of my good and recent friends. His name is The Ben Crockett. And don't ask me if the V is on his birth certificate, because it most definitely is. But it's not often that you get to talk to a rising star, a, a guy who would deny <laughs> that he's going to be important in the conservative movement, in the preservation of America in the future. But I don't deny it. He's going to be very important. He is the host of the 451 podcast that is powered and sponsored by the Unwoke Narrative. Welcome, please. The Ben Crockett. Yes, related to Davy Crockett to the podcast. The Ben Crockett, welcome to my podcast. Well, thank you, Lily. Thank you. The Ben Crockett. Wow. I feel honored. So I must start with a very deep question. In what ways are Americans, in your opinion, philosophically void? In what as ways are Americans philosophically void? I think the biggest philosophical voidness that is encroaching into American life isn't necessarily leftism, but rather it is the decline in Christianity, which is leading, in my opinion, to a growth of leftism. I think that's a very opposite way to put a hundred years of societal and cultural development. But yeah, I, I think I would agree with that because everyone has to worship something. Mm -hmm. And if you're going to not worship a God in any religion, specifically Christianity, then you're going to worship the state. I mean, was it Malcolm Muggeridge who said, you know, that it, there's a lot of isms that ought to be wasms? <laughs> and uh, leftism, communism, Marxism, I mean, you know, the list could go on, postmodernism. So then I must then ask a question, because obviously we are seeing a decline in conservatism and conservative values, especially in our youth. I know that you're at a very, quote unquote, conservative college, and you even have pride centers and exotic sex centers and hate posters for someone like myself. I only go for the free barbecue. Fair enough. That's a good place to go get it. However, you know, we are looked on as a very... Uh, a society that is quickly waning in the conservatism. And obviously you and I would chalk that up to a lack of Christianity and a departing from Christianity. So can we paint a little bit of color in the way that conservatism and Christianity actually go together? I think if we're going to properly understand the relationship between conservatism and Christianity, we have to take it way back. Um, and I want to use a C.S. Lewis quote to sort of sketch the beginnings of this. Uh, C.S. Lewis said that, I know God exists in the same way that I know the sun has risen, not just because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. And uh, I think that Christianity is the epistemological foundation of conservatism. That is a polysyllabic way of saying it is the lens that a conservative will see the world. In um, a prior conversation we had, you talked a little bit about the marriage of Judaism and the philosophy of Greece and how that has laid a foundation for conservative principles and, and the, the principles that we and our country and we hold so dearly. Mm -hmm. so well, I mean, you know, smart people uh, borrowed 
and uh, businessmen steal. So thank you, Mr. Ben Shapiro, uh, and your book, The Right <laughs> Side of History, which talks a little bit more in depth about the marriage between um, Judaism and uh, sort of Greece or uh, Athenian wisdom. So if we look at uh, Plato, we have you know this idea of, of, of a world of forms. We have this idea of the unmoved mover. We have a lot of the early sort of philosophical proofs of God existence. And we also have a way of deduction that uh, has lent itself quite generously to our modern Western world. But we still have to have a unmover, a unmoved mover. Uh, we still have to have something from which we can base our, our logical conclusions from a first premise, if you will. And that is where the sort of Judeo-Christian elements come in. Um, because I think that the unmoved mover of Aristotle and of um, Plato was the Lord our, Jesus Christ, Lord our God, Jesus Christ. And I, I come to that conclusion uh, from a number of different angles. So then conservatism, we would argue, is the line of reality and God's natural laws with Christianity, right? Conservatism never wants to deny reality, deny science, deny the natural way that things work. For example, women and men are different. The free market should remain free. And then if the government steps in, the natural progression of government is to oppress their their own um, opportunities and their own people, right? It's in line with the things that try to make sense of the world that we are in. And so can we talk a little bit more about that and how the natural laws of God are actually the most practical way to live, and that is what what conservatism really highlights. I mean, this is Edmund Burke, right? The classic sort of conservative thinker that we all uh, aspire know to. Know and love. That's right. Know and love and aspire to, to, to be. He said, no, no, never is... Um, you know, nature in conflict with wisdom. And that is, in my, my opinion, the, the intersection between Christianity and conservatism. Because I, I think that conservatism is, in many ways, the policies and the actions, it's the orthopraxy um, that, as religious Christians, the orthodoxy, that is, to say, that we practice. Because it always runs up against human nature. Yeah, nature and, and wisdom. Leftism likes to deny human nature mm -hmm. and tries to, in fact, recreate it. And and where does wisdom begin, Lolly? Oh, that's a great question. It'd have to begin with the truth. I was going to say fear of God, but also the truth for my right. for my Bible readers out there. <laughs> that's great. And then, of course, we know that <clears throat> Christianity and conserva conservatism both insist on equal rights or individual rights, because Christ died for all of us, therefore we should build our philosophical and po political understanding off of that idea. Churches are a great place for conservatives to meet each other. Um, and I th there's a lot of great relationships that come from those people that you meet at church. Churches are also a uh, building block, a backbone of the community. And it's important for conservatives to practice what they preach. And what that looks like in practical terms is volunteerism. It looks like um, helping out your church, uh, build, tithing. build tithing, building houses with an organization like Habitat for Humanity. Um, or another way that you can do it is if you have a small group um, with your church, you can get involved in a local charity with them, um, a food bank with them. So the church is the launch pad for these classically conservative activities um, that we identify with, that we say are good. Things like volunteerism, things like you know, Bible studies, things like helping out at your food bank, habitat. I mean, the, the list could go on and on. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's the place that you meet 
those people who are going to do those great things with so you. So you would say, to summarize that, dutiful conviction and acting mm-hmm. upon that duty for your country because that's something that our founders wrote about quite an, an extensive amount, that freedom is not without duty. And freedom requires you to, one, obviously fight for that freedom, but to do what you ought to do with that freedom. So then I guess the next mm-hmm. natural question out of that is how do Christianity and freedom go together besides the point in Galatians 5 to 1 it is for freedom that Christ has set us free but uh-huh. what of freedom and then what has happened to our idea of freedom in America so there, there's about three things there and I want to actually backtrack just for a second um, the church gives me my orthodoxy that is to say that the church gives me my right beliefs but then from the church I have to use that uh, into my orthopraxy which is my right actions so the church is where I get my orthodoxy and I meet those people that I'm going to go do those right actions with in the mm-hmm. community. Now to, to go to your questions on liberty um, and sort of the decline of liberty. At the end of the day, we vote for people. And we have to make the bed that we've slept in. So if we want to change things, we need to vote for people that agree with conservative values truly. And there, there's no easy answers to this problem other than get yourself educated. Um, become passionate about lo- liberty. And then don't just stop with you. Be evangelical about it. Go to your neighbor. Go to your friends. Go to your Bible study and say, hey, you know, there's some things that are happening in this country that I'm really concerned about. Chances are if you approach me as a friend or you approach someone as a friend and you just say, this is, this is what's happening. I don't know if you're aware of this. So I don't know if you're, you're aware of what's happening at the Supreme Court right now, but it's, it's not really good and it's not what we believe as, as Christians and as conservatives. Could you, you know, sign this petition? How about we go help this local candidate? Mm-hmm. Um, put him in local elections or, you know, even even uh, state elections and uh, and beyond. So mm-hmm. that's how it has to happen. It has to happen not necessarily with, with you know, these big shows and these big flags. And, and though those help, it is the, the most effective marketing is interpersonal marketing. And the best way to convince people to get involved in the conservative movement is talking to them one-on-one, one person at a time. Yeah. That's how you make a better America. And then you say... Well, what do we talk about, right? Mm -hmm. Because everyone, I would say, has an opinion about abortion. Mm -hmm. Everyone has an opinion about who's in office right now, who's in the White House. They all have an opinion about how the gas prices or the milk and egg prices are rising. So then what do you start with? You start with your values. And I would say a great place to start would be, well, what does freedom mean to you? And historically, what has freedom meant? And like I mentioned with the founders, right, freedom is not the ability to do whatever my base demands, desire or command of me, but it's to do what I ought to do for my country, for my neighbors, in our relationship together, you and I as friends, in our churches, in our community. And so that's always a really important place to start because there is one side that values freedom or whatever we think freedom is, but then there happens to be another side that you can't have a conversation if you in don't agree, opinion, in my opinion, where I see Americans philosophically void, is that we don't have a philosophical or concrete at all understanding of what freedom is, why freedom is important, and why freedom is so quickly drained from a society. So that's where I would say you need to have, tying in your last thing in the first question, is the conversation you have needs to say, I I just want to interrupt and say, Lily, I fully support the right of every man, woman, child, to not wear a face diaper if they don't want to. 
That is very courageous of you. Thank you. I know I'm taking a radical stand, but, <laughs> you know, it's the Lily Kate show, and it, and it just it brings out the passion and the conservative fire in me, so I had to say it. I support the equal right of every man, woman, child, blah, 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 to uh, <laughs> not wear a face diaper if they don't want to. Or to get the Fauci ouchy COVID job. Uh, and you, you can know. do it if you want, but we asked him, why not? Why would you want to force people to get that? Do you not value your freedom? And if something like this were to happen that you disagreed mm -hmm. with, how would you react? Look, the, it, it goes back to Oliver Wendell Holmes, who, which is a justice that I don't agree with always. In fact, a lot of times I find myself um, in contradiction to the great um, Oliver Wendell Holmes. But he said that your right to swing your fist ends at the other gentleman's face. <laughs> and so, you know, if I want to wear a scarf... I can wear a scarf, but I can't make you wear a scarf. Mm -hmm. um, that wouldn't be right. We'd say that the left would call it very sexist and patriarchal because she's a woman and I would be forcing a <laughs> scarf on her. And in the same way, I can't force you to wear something over your mouth, over your nose. Uh, that, that wouldn't be right either. So at the end of the day, it's, it's, about, it's about freedom. It's about the fundamental principle that Oliver Wendell Holmes was saying when he said, my right to swing, my fist ends at your face. I, I can't control what you do. <laughs> but the results of Christianity are important and the premises of Christianity are also important and I know that you have a really big opinion about how you can't only have the results of Christianity without not without having the premises first and you can't have the premises well you can have the premises but you will have a very pathetic result if you're not striving for a Christian result can we so can we go into the idea of Christian premises and Christian results if I were to ask you to stand right now you would be standing on uh, two feet, is that right? If I wanted to, yes. Yeah, but you can you can just levitate in the air, and I have to have something to stand on, uh, namely my feet. So why why do I say that? Because if you try to just say, well, I I think that the societal benefits of Christianity are great. I think that the moral lessons that are taught in Christianity are great. You you become this caricature of, uh, and it, and it's impossible. This this un impossible caricature of someone standing without two feet. Uh, just levitating in the air, and I don't, I don't think that's that's how we should we should do things. We should start with with first premises. Premises are the feet in this analogy. Yes. Um, with you know, it, it's called foundationalism, and it's the idea that there are certain properly basic beliefs that we have to subscribe to for the world to make sense. These are things like the universe, like everything else, had a cause, and that cause was sufficient to explain the existence of the universe. Um, these are things like the human brain is capable of some degree of rational thought and that our senses are capable to a certain degree of understanding the world outside us and that world actually exists. Um, we're not simply brains in a vat. Mm -hmm. So there, there's certain things that we have to take as properly basic. Question. Yes. Would the idea of man is imperfect be also within that area of fundamentalism? Yeah, I would say that um, the imperfection, or the perhaps it's better to say, the fallenness or flawedness of man is one of those properly basic beliefs. And properly basic beliefs are generally what we consider to be self-evident beliefs. Mm -hmm. um, if you've met, met someone and they, they say that they're perfect, um, and, you know, you could just gradually sort of say, you know, uh, you might want to get that checked out. There's some <laughs> great psychiatrists out there. Hmm. Continue with your train of thought then. So you have to start with these foundational beliefs, things like the flawedness of man, the human brain is capable of reason, we actually exist, um, things have causes that are sufficient to explain their existence, 
the universe being a thing has a cause sufficient to explain its existence. Which you're um, alluding to is God. That's right. So these are the sort of properly basic beliefs. These are the premises that you have to have in order to construct any sort of worldview. But I think that when you start at those epistemological foundations and move uh, forward, you're going to arrive at something very similar to Christianity, and you're going to arrive at something um, very similar to conservatism. So let's take people are flawed. The conservative way of looking at it is people are flawed. Let's create the system which best allows flawed people to succeed, mainly the free market. Mm-hmm. Um, let's take. Or let's create a system of law and order that assumes we are going to do the worst and punishes us accordingly. Exactly right. Exactly right, Lily. Or, you know, we could take the God thing. Okay, so we've, we've already got the law and order part. We've already got the morality part. What, what sort of qualities would we expect from a God that created a universe that wanted to have law and order and stability and uh, that put an innate moral law on us? Well, if there's innate moral law on us, there has to be a innate moral law, which has been given to us by innate moral lawgiver. So therefore, we arrive at a deity that uh, has a certain level of morality, which is a measure that we use to judge our own morality. Uh, and then it also has to be a God which is capable of making choices. So it has to be a personal deity because only persons and minds are capable of making choices. That is to say the choice to make the universe. So now we have something that has a moral law and that is capable of making choices. Okay, well, what, what else do we need? Because we're getting awfully close to this God of the Bible that mm-hmm. I keep hearing so much about. And by the way, I said a God. Um, and it has to be someone who's all-powerful because the universe is pretty big. Uh, and so, knowing of course. Well, it has to be something that is, is sufficient to create the universe, so something that is sufficiently powerful. So we have an all-powerful deity who has a moral law, uh, who makes personal choices. Okay, well, mm. the universe contains quite a bit of information, and I'm going to go back to that sort of uh, principle of sufficient reason here. It has to be a deity that um, is able to um, possess the knowledge necessary to make a universe. Well, the knowledge necessary to make a universe is pretty close to being omniscient, pretty close to being all-knowing. So we have an all-knowing, all-powerful, moral deity. I I mean, could you name a better description of of the God of the Bible? I could name of maybe one, which would be love for uh, making us. Well, I was going to say Dr. Fauci, but uh, you might be a little closer. So yes, what he's saying is essentially you can't have a universe that makes sense without having things outside of that that also make sense, that lay the fundamental... Um, framework for which we build our worldview off of. And so often, you know, teachers in Mm -hmm. college classes and our professors will tell us that, you know, we're just going to spend time attacking these very basic principles. And so that's why I, I almost have to disagree with the statement, teach someone how to think, not what to think. But if you don't teach them first what to think, which is a correct a correct something, a moral statement, a, hey, it's not good to murder, then they're going to be able to come to better conclusions than if you teach them, let's talk about how to think, and they come to the conclusion that murder is, in fact, good because they logically got there themselves. Lily, it's really simple. G.K. Chesterton, uh, don't be so open-minded as to let your brain fall out. <laughs> That's the guiding principle. If you if you use that, that principle, properly understood, will keep you out of so much mental trouble. I mean, there are some ideas, as as someone much more famous than me said, uh, that only a thinking person who's been locked in his room for 20 years could believe. Uh, ideas that only philosophers could get behind. Oh yeah, o- and- only I- ideas that professors would be so foolish to understand. That's right. Everyone who's listening and, and searching for the practical application of this, be wary of when your professors try to attack the natural laws of 
Christianity or the natural laws of God or the natural logical foundation that we base our worldview on. Because if you let them take those down, then you're going to be able to be convinced of all these different things that you're not going to, you're going to come back home and your parents are going to be like, we did not raise you this way. In fact, almost 60% of students who go in, this is taken from Glenn Beck's book, um, Addicted to Outrage, 60% of religious students who go into a university come out a religious and agnostic or, or subscribing to either atheism, which again is a form of a religion. And so we can't let them do that. We have to hold fast to the principles that are observable and the logical conclusions that are true that we know that we've grown up with so that we're able to fight off any ideas that don't make sense. Lily, do you want a bumper sticker? You <laughs> what want would a it say? Conservatism is common sense. Mm, that's good. Although I do like the whole MAGA idea, make something great again. So make common sense great again. You know, maca, maca. That's isn't that like a tea or something that they drink in the Amazon? <laughs> Could be. I'm uh -huh. a coffee drinker. Wouldn't know. Okay. But we often see that the secular parts of this world are so ingrained with Christian principles, right? We always demand equal rights for people. We have obviously the anti-slavery. Why do we demand equal rights for people? Well, Christians. Why? Why do we believe in equal rights? Well, because let's say Jesus died for everyone, therefore shouldn't we all have some sort of similar? Okay, I value? like where you're going. I like where you're going. I want. I want to take it even further back than Jesus. <laughs> Let's do it. There's this guy, um, you might have heard of him, uh, the Marquis de Sade, Frenchman, and he's actually where we get the word sadism from. Hmm. Super interesting. Uh, if you want to learn more about this, read The Great Good Thing by Andrew Clavin, but um, he talks extensively about the Marquis de Sade, and, and the Marquis de Sade lived truly as if there was no God. I'm not going to go into detail on some of the heinous acts committed by and described in, you know, color by uh, the Marquis de Sade on, on the air. But he lived truly as if there was no God, and therefore other people had no fundamental worth. Mm -hmm. Now, why is it that I say that there is a God and people have fundamental worth? What, what, what is it about there being a God um, and us people that causes there to be fundamental worth? Old Testament, the Imago Dei. Mm. We're made in the image of God. If I, if I kill you, I am denigrating the image of God. Uh, I am destroying one of God's temples because, as you know, my body, my temple. We are we're <laughs> my temples. My body, my temple. That's right. That's right. <laughs> um, and so all of our laws and our concept of equality is built on the idea that we're all made in the image of God, bringing it back to the New Testament, to Jesus. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and I, I, I heard this from a pastor one time, and it was so good I had to steal it. So as you know, the famous so scene— So you're saying that you are a businessman. Well— Famously in the New Testament, um, the man comes up to Jesus and says, you know, do I really have to pay taxes? And, and my pastor said, you know, this is the one question that I wish Jesus would have would have uh, answered differently. <laughs> and, and Jesus is like, well, you know, whose who's face is on that coin? And the guy's like, Caesar's. Well, and then Jesus says, render unto Caesar's that which is Caesar's. Whose face is on you? Mm. God's. So give unto God that which is God's. Um, the reason why we have equality in this... Uh, See, people without a God would have said, well, my face is on me, so I'll keep all my money, yeah, right? But but if, if it's only your face on you, your worth is entirely dependent on, on, on other people's perception of your face. So, you know, to me, you might be worth something only, but to, to Bill or Joe or Bob, you know, I don't really know. I mean, why should I respect that? You haven't proved that? it, at least. That's right. You haven't proved it. And maybe you'd be more useful uh, as a servant, honestly. Um, and there's no reason why your morality in this case would trump their morality if there wasn't some objective morality from which they could compare it to. And so that's why the most important 
philosophy, principle, yeah. philosophy is that we're all made in the image of God. And upon that precipice sits the rest of Western law and the rest of Western morality. And, of course, liberalism is a product of Western thought. I mean, mm-hmm. it's the progression, that poisoned tradition that brings out liberalism, that the inevitable ends of that is Marxism. And it's always fun to bring it back to the idea of where did individual rights or equal worth, I find those a little bit interchangeable, where did that originate? And you answer that question beautifully. And private property, what to do about private property? Because there's there are parables where Jesus talks about keeping your property, depend, defending your property, and then, of course, we have natural responsibility. Both of the sexes, people to their country, they have a natural responsibility. And Christians, we have a natural responsibility to bring God glory and to share his word, just like we find in Matthew 28, 20 and Acts chapter 1. And then, of course, depending on what doctrine you subscribe to, you do have freedom of choice. And uh, some people would say, no, it's, it's all predestination or maybe your salvation's predestination. But practically, it's, it's more feasible to believe that everybody has freedom of choice. So they feel like they have some ownership about the decisions they're making. Regardless, all of these ideas are in conservatism, yes, but they're also permeating in the liberal leftist philosophy. I mean, come on, we're fighting for the rights of women, the rights of people of color, even though we've all been granted the same legal rights. We, we are fighting for private property or to take private property away from people and redistribute it we have we're fighting against natural responsibilities and then obviously freedom of choice comes down to what type of substance are you going to put into your body i mean what does the bible want us to do if if it is raining outside and um someone is cold they're they're wet they don't have a jacket they don't have an umbrella they have a cough i mean does the bible tell us to say oh go be be warm be merry be well or does it say Take off your coat and, and give it to him. Does it say they didn't have umbrellas back then? But let me tell you, if they had <laughs> if umbrellas they had back umbrellas. then, Jesus would be handing those suckers out. It's like Oprah. You get an umbrella and you, you get, get an umbrella. umbrella. You get a, everybody yeah, gets an uh, umbrella. Get mm-hmm. Keep dividing those suckers indefinitely. Anyway, <laughs> the, the point that I'm trying to make is it's not good enough for us to say, be prosperous, be warm, have a nice meal, have a great rest of your day. But instead, we have to take an active role um, as individuals. We have to say, hey, man, it's raining outside. We're going to the same class. This is something you can do on campus. You want to walk with me? I have an umbrella, and you know that way you don't get all, all wet and everything. And I, 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 I tell you, when you start doing this, things are going to start happening to you. Mm. Uh, I'm not trying to preach any prosperity gospel, but I want to share an experience that happened the other day in Aggieland. Uh, thanks and gig'em. Go Texas A&M. I, uh, I, it was raining pretty bad. It was pretty cold. And I saw this guy, engineering student, you could tell. And uh, no, no offense to all the engineering students out there. there. There's not a type or anything. So I see this guy and he's walking <laughs> and uh, he's getting rained on and I feel awful about it. So I, I walk with him to the commons, which is one of the dining halls at Texas A&M. And I let him use my umbrella. And when he gets there, he says, hey, man, I, I just want to say thank you. And I, I was like, oh, you don't, you don't need to. We're, we're good, man. Like uh, we're going to the same place. Like it's no trouble. Like really just I, I just didn't want to see you uh, in the rain like that. And he said, no, 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 I want to do something for you. I was like, it's really not necessary. And then he said, let me buy your Snickers. I said, I'm in. Anyway, I, I say that all that was because one little act of kindness led to him doing one little act mm-hmm. of kindness for someone else. And, and that mutually you can, makes, you, makes you both feel that's good. That's right. And, and what's magical is you can get these chains of kindness to continue on. Mm. So as, as conservatives, as Christians, I think we're called not just to say, 
go be warm, but also to bring a coat. Uh, not just say so, go be dry, but also have an umbrella. The calling to this is pay for the meal behind you in a drive-thru. So That's you can right. literally keep the chain going. Mm-hmm. And so besides the fact that we know that Ben Crockett cannot take a compliment for the life of him unless it involves a chocolate I mean, bar. if you want to keep triangle, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to say no. But we, we, need, we must discuss a problem because... I find that the left may use these inherently Christian premises, right? Liberalism that leads to leftism may use these Christian premises like we kind of Mm -hmm. talked about, right? But they don't want the Christian solutions. They want the control. They want the collectivism. They want the divide. They want the individual that has no higher purpose than to serve the state. And so can we just talk about that a little bit? Well, power is intoxicating, Lily. Have you ever had enough power to get intoxicated by it? I don't do drugs. (laughs) <laughs> uh, and I want to make that very clear, Mom. If you're listening to this, I I don't do drugs, <laughs> and I I don't I don't support doing uh, the drugs either. Uh, that being <laughs> so, no, I, I don't think I've I've been uh, intoxicated by substances or by uh, um, power. power. Unfortunately, uh, or fortunately, depending on your perspective, I haven't been uh, trusted with that sort of thing for for probably uh, good reasons. <laughs> Um, but I still should have run, won that, uh, that election in high school, whatever one it was. Funnily enough, your answer speaks to a larger truth. No man should be trusted with that much power, and that is why it's so important to hold on to this system, this form of government that our founders created, not total democracy, not total republic, not total anarchy. Somewhere mm-hmm. in the middle where powers, we have the checks and balances system. If men were angels, no uh, government would be necessary. Thank you, Publius James mm-hmm. Madison. Well, let's finish that quote. Lily's putting because me on the spot if, here, and if it's the all it's... men were demons, no government would be enough. That's right. No government would be sufficient. Uh huh. And then every person, of course, has to serve something. Back to our initial idea and answering again the question of where Americans are philosophically void. Mm -hmm. You will either serve the ends of the state or the ends of a perfect God that has created this perfect religion. And when you're asking yourself practically, which one's better to serve? A bunch of bureaucrats who hate my guts or a God that was loving enough to send his son to sacrifice himself for me and has outlined these natural laws and given me this fundamental argument for individual worth and individual rights which one seems better to follow it's critical that we say what system produces the best results but also what system is consistent towards a empirical observation of the world the catholic church I mean, I mean, clearly. And, and I don't care what they say. They, they do a great daycare program. Honestly, folks. <laughs> Again, religion. Religion itself as a whole, right? Any sect of Christian religion is something that is unchanging, everlasting. And yes, man likes to um, distort it. We like to confuse it. We like to take verses out of context. Well, I mean, look, we all like to say that man is made in the image of God. But the truth is that man likes to make his God in the image of himself. And when that happens, we get all these isms that, as Malcolm Muggeridge said, ought to be wasms, things like communism, Marxism, things that, that go back to you know, uh, Jean-Jacques Rousseau's uh, view of the world, that man is born free and, and is elsewhere in chains, that, that we're, there's somehow a blank uh, slate that can be molded into this Nietzschean ubermensch. Um, but we know that people are actually flawed, and we know that they're innately flawed. I mean, go babysit a one-year-old. If you thought they were an angel, I apologize. Um, your, your vision of the world will be shattered by reality. And I, I do love children, so take that with a grain <laughs> of salt. Um, the point is that people have an innate nature. And it is through the grace of God that we can be forgiven. 
which for in the, end, the results of that nature. Which in the end is a much more empowering message because we are imperfect. And while we don't like to realize that, once you do realize that, that in a way sets you free, free in Christ, because he was good enough to come down and take all that away from us. And so oddly enough, by realizing your own imperfections, that becomes the encouragement that becomes the foundation that you lay your life on. And that really becomes the beautiful thing about Christianity. So again, coming full circle is that Americans are philosophically void because of a lack of Christianity. You know, I, before we go, I, w- I have some big news. I want to break the news on here. Is that okay if you would break the news on here? Let's do it. So uh, there's this guy, you might've heard of him. Uh, he wrote this great book. It's called still the best hope. Hmm. And we're actually going to, we're going to, if you already know who he is, Good for you. You're smart. You're, you're a good reader. But if not, Unwoke Narrative is starting a new podcast, and our first guest is that guy, the guy who wrote Still Ooh. the Best Hope. That's right, folks, Dennis Prager. I'm so excited to be revealing this on the, the Lily Kate Show. This Dennis is Prager is going to be the first guest on Unwoke Narrative's new podcast. It's coming out December 1st, and it's going to be called uh, 451 Now. Of course, a, a reference back to Fahrenheit 451, so that's really exciting. Dennis Prager is the first guest. We have some awesome ones afterwards, some awesome people that we talked about uh, a little bit in this interview. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to give them away. There's some Easter eggs, but uh, <laughs> if you're listening, go back and find them. Definitely. Anyway. Well, thank you for the announcement. Well, mm-hmm. I'll be looking forward to the Unwoke Narrative's very first podcast coming out. Best of luck with that. And Ben Crockett, definitely related to David Crockett. It's not a lie at all. It's on my business card. <laughs> anyway. Appreciate you coming on today. Thank you, Lily. It was a pleasure. Mm-hmm.